This is Archive Atlanta, episode 246, Martin Luther King Jr. Historic Sites. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday! I have had this episode idea in my notes for at least two years, but we all know I will never be the topical, timely podcaster who releases episodes when they make sense, until today. So if you're listening in real time, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is Monday, and while many know about his birth home and his church, there are so many other places in Atlanta connected to Dr. King and his family that I want to share. So this week, I want to go through those sites give you addresses, a little bit of history, and hopefully allow everyone to do a little DIY tour of the sites. You can put them into Google and kind of do it with Street View. You can drive there. You can walk there. You can bike there. Um, Hopefully just encourage people to go see something new. A quick disclaimer, this is not an in-depth history episode about Dr. King's life and work, which I do hope to do that one day. So just keep that in mind. You're going to have to have some background knowledge, but I promise you it's all really basic historical facts that hopefully we learned in elementary school. The story begins on Auburn Avenue with what today is called the birth home. This section of Auburn developed residentially in the 1890s, primarily by white residents, and then that would change after the 1906 race massacre. The Queen Anne Victorian at 501 Auburn Avenue was built around 1895 and first home to the Holbrooks, a widow and her daughters. In 1908, it was listed for sale for $3,500, and it was later purchased by Reverend Adam Daniel Williams. A.D. Williams was born in Greene County, Georgia, but by 1893, he had moved to Atlanta to pastor Ebenezer Baptist Church. He married Jenny Celeste Parks in 1899. Jenny was born in Atlanta, one of 13 children, and took classes at Spelman Seminary before she left to be married. The couple had their only surviving child, Alberta Christine, in 1903. In 1926, Alberta married Michael King. King was born in Stockbridge, Georgia, and had been boarding with the Williams family while preaching in Atlanta. He and Jenny fell in love, dated for eight years, got married, and had three children together, Willie Christine, Michael Jr., and Alfred Daniel. In 1927, Michael King joined his father-in-law as assistant pastor of Ebenezer Baptist. So yes, we're finally here, the birth of Dr. King. And we'll get into the name change in a moment, I promise. But Michael King Jr. was born January 15th, 1929, in the middle bedroom of the second floor of this house. In 1934, his father took a trip to Germany for the Baptist World Alliance meeting, visited several sites associated with theologian Martin Luther, and he was so inspired that upon his return, he legally changed his name and his eldest son's name to Martin Luther King. The King family lived in the house until 1941 when they moved to 139 Boulevard. Alberta King continued to own the birth home until signing it over to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Center in 1973, and it was open to the public in 1984. Now, the house just closed for renovations. It's going to be closed for a year, but hopefully in after a year, um, you'll be able to go back and tour that um, with the National Park Service. So if you're wondering about that second childhood home and why you've never heard of it, uh, that's because it no longer exists. And if you do a little map research, it puts the location of that second home exactly where Freedom Parkway begins when you exit the connector. Let's talk about schools. The Young Street School was funded by a $3 million bond issue passed in 1910, which 600000 of was earmarked for new schools and improving new facilities. 
To increase the chances of passing, city leaders allocated about $38,000 for a new school for black children, which they decided to be built in the fourth ward. In June of 1910, the city of Atlanta purchased land from Bishop Henry M. Turner and completed the Young Street School in 1911. In January of 1935, Michael King Jr. enrolled at Young Street, but they discovered he was too young for the first grade. He enrolled in the summer of 1936, and he completed first and second grades here. In the fall of 1936, he transferred to David T. Howard Elementary. Now, the Young Street School was later renamed H.R. Butler, and it remained a school until the 1980s. It was then used as a community center and demolished. So today, the Helen S. Mills Multipurpose Facility stands in its place. There's also a park next to it, but the address is 515 John Wesley Dobbs Avenue. If you travel down the street probably less than half a mile, you'll see the newly remodeled David T. Howard Middle School at 551 John Wesley Dobbs Avenue. The school opened in 1923 on land donated by David T. Howard. Howard was born enslaved and post-emancipation got into the undertaking business. By 1890, he was one of the wealthiest black men in the city of Atlanta, and he operated the fourth largest funeral home. Dr. King attended the elementary school here from third to fifth grade, graduating in the summer of 1940. From the fall of 1940 through 1942, King attended the seventh and the ninth grades at the Atlanta University Laboratory School. The school opened in 1930, and the laboratory school taught all grades. It was, it was like first through 12 or something. But they did it in two different buildings. So the elementary school kids were at the Oglethorpe School, which that building still stands today. It's on the Morris Brown campus. And then the higher grades were taught inside Giles or Giles Hall uh, on Spellman's campus. Dr. King completed seventh grade. He skipped eighth grade. So this puts him in the laboratory school, which is on Spellman's campus. Now it does still stand today, but Spellman has a closed campus, but Giles Hall uh, borders Greens Ferry Avenue. So you can see it from the street. In the fall of 1942 through 1944, King attended Booker T. Washington High School, one of my favorite buildings in the entire city. Located at 45 White House Drive, the school was funded by a 1921 bond referendum that pledged over a million dollars to black schools, including constructing the first black high school in the state. The Board of Education approved the purchase of 20 acres of land for the school in June of 1922, and Eugene Wackendorf was selected as the architect. It opened in 1924 as the first public high school for African Americans in the state of Georgia, and it was the only black high school until 1947. In 1927, the only exact replica of the Booker T. Washington Monument, which is outside Tuskegee, was erected in front of this school's entrance, and you can still see it today. In his autobiography, King recalls that he had to take the bus from the Fourth Ward to the other side of town where Booker T. Washington was located, and the rigid patterns of segregation dictated that he could only sit in the back of the bus or stand if those seats were taken. And he says, quote, every time I got on that bus, I left my mind up in the front seat. And I said to myself, one of these days, I'm going to put my body up there where my mind is, end quote. Dr. King graduated early and made his way to Morehouse College. I covered the history of Morehouse College in episode 206, but briefly, it began as the Augusta Institute in 1967 in Augusta, Georgia, and it relocated to Atlanta in 1879. Here it was incorporated as the Atlanta Baptist Seminary, and the first school building was erected at the corner of Elliott and West Hunter Streets. In 1888, the Atlanta Baptist Seminary found 14 acres on a hilltop, which is a portion of today their current location and current campus. 
Robert Hall was built in 1916 by contractor Alexander Hamilton, and that is the dormitory that Dr. King would live in when he arrived in 1944. All of these buildings still stand, but like Spellman, Morehouse's campus is not open to the general public. Dr. King's father and grandfather had both attended Morehouse, and it was during this time here that he really furthered his ideas about civil disobedience, and the Constitution, the Atlanta Constitution newspaper, actually published his letter to the editor stating that black people were, quote, entitled to the basic rights and opportunities of American citizens, end quote. In 1948, just months before graduating, King was ordained and appointed as assistant pastor at Ebenezer Baptist alongside his father. So let's talk about Ebenezer. While the historic congregation is still active today, it's actually led by U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock, the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church building still stands at the corner of Jackson Street and Auburn Avenue. A.D. Williams led the congregation in building this new sanctuary in the mid-1910s. It was heavily delayed because of World War I, and the cornerstone was finally laid in the summer of 1921. They opened for a couple of meetings Christmas of that year, but there was a formal open to the public in January of 1922. When Dr. King graduated from Morehouse, he went to theology school in Pennsylvania, then later school in Boston, where he met his future wife, Coretta Scott. They married in Alabama in 1953 and created a life there, eventually welcoming two of their four children. It was not until February of 1960 that Martin and his family moved back to Atlanta. And here, King began working at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference offices, which were on the first floor of the Prince Hall Masonic Lodge building. Today, that address is 330 Auburn Avenue. And just to tell you a little bit about the building, um, Prince Hall Masons are historically African-American Masons. In Atlanta here, um, this group of Masons was very successful. They had this building erected under the direction of Grandmaster John Wesley Dobbs, and it was actually built by Alexander Hamilton. Um, They started in the late 30s, and it was completed in 1940 and then added on to in 1955. While the lodge was on the top floor, the rest of the building was home to many things. WERD, the nation's first black-owned and operated radio station, a Madam C.J. Walker beauty shop, the Atlanta franchise of the Apex Beauty College, and many, many more. Now, the National Park Service bought or leased the building. I can't remember which one. I think in 2020, um, COVID has delayed a lot of these plans, but the ultimate goal is to renovate, restore, and have this building open to the public, but really create an exhibit that can showcase Dr. King's office space. So while King moved back to Atlanta in 1960, he did not purchase the house in Vine City until 1964, really 1965. And where he lived in those four or five years... I have no idea. Just before leaving Alabama, his home was bombed there. So I imagine when he moved here that we were doing residential bombings here. If you did not know that, I have an episode about it. So I can imagine that it was all very hush-hush. Could he have lived with his parents in Collier Heights? I don't know. If you know, send me a message. What we do know is that in 1965, the family moved into 234 Sunset Avenue in Vine City. The house was built in 1950 and first home to the Cowans and then the Gideons families. The Kings welcomed their youngest, Bernice King, while living in the home. There's a historic black and white photo of King in the backyard playing with the kids. That swing set is still standing. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated on April 4th, 1968, and Coretta and the children were home here when they received the news. Then Mayor Ivan Allen was a person who broke the tragic news to Coretta and then went to the house to help her with anything she needed. 
The house was recently purchased by the National Park Service and also similar plans to renovate, restore, and have this be an accessible museum space. King's funeral was held on April 9th with services as both Ebenezer and Morehouse, and his body was laid to rest at Southview Cemetery. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I love cemeteries and cemetery history, and Southview is an incredible place. Located at 1990 Jonesboro Road, it was formed in 1886 by nine Black Atlanta businessmen who petitioned the state of Georgia for a charter to establish a cemetery. This makes it the oldest African-American non-charitable corporation in the country. It's the final resting place for over 80,000 African-Americans, including Hank Aaron, Sean Lewis, and so many more. If you visit the cemetery when you drive in, if you go to the right side, it is generally the historic side, I'm calling it. Um, the first row of crypts facing Jonesboro Road actually is where the King family crypt is. Dr. King was buried there for two years until his body was relocated to a crypt at the brand new King Center for nonviolent social change. Today, it's simply the King Center. So if you want more details on King's funeral and the several different crypts that he has been entombed in over the years, my friend Liz over at Tomb of the View has a really great episode 66 um, that I'm going to link in the show notes. So there we have the broad list of the most important sites associated with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but there are three bonus stops that I want to mention. The first is the Old Rich's Department Store. The building still stands today at the corner of Broad and Alabama Streets in downtown Atlanta. But in 1960, it was the site of Dr. King's first arrest. He joined in a protest led by the Atlanta Student Movement, which I also did an episode about. Um, they had targeted or they were targeting the Magnolia Room, which was a lunchroom inside of Rich's Department Store. More than 50 demonstrators were arrested, Dr. King among them. Now, Mayor Hartsfield jumps in. He releases 22 of those people, Dr. King among them. But there is a judge out of DeKalb County that says, I think there was an outstanding traffic warrant for King. And so because of this, he violated his terms of probation um, and could not be let out. Dr. King is then transferred from Fulton to DeKalb. Um, after sentence sentencing, he is transferred to Reedsville Prison, to do hard labor on a chain gang. Now, there's a lot more story involved in this. Basically, there are some public comments where Mayor Hartsfield takes it upon himself to mention that Senator Kennedy released, um, supported his release from jail. This hadn't actually happened, but the Kennedy team kind of jumped on the PR. Um, eventually, I think it was Robert Kennedy that made a call to the DeKalb judge, and MLK is released from prison on October 27th. The other site is the former Pascals, which stands today at 830 Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, ironically. In 1959, the Pascal brothers moved their popular sandwich shop across the street to a larger facility where they first opened. By 1960, they added La Carousel Lounge adjacent to the restaurant. And then in 1967, they erected a six-story, 125-room motel with banquet space and another huge dining room and a swimming pool. And upon opening, because Dr. King loved Pascal's, I said he was there often, they gave him room 101. It was permanently set aside for Dr. King to use for meetings, to hanging out, sleeping, whatever he wanted to do is his room. The last is the home of Martin Luther Sr. and Alberta King, located at 2873 Dale Creek Drive in the historic Collier Heights neighborhood. Reverend King had the home built in 1958 from plans selected by his wife, 
And they lived there, and she lived there until her death in 1974, and he lived there until his death in 1984. It's still owned by the King family from what I gather. Um, and there's actually a story of Richard Nixon visiting the home after Dr. King's assassination. So there you have it, the virtual tour of historic sites associated with Martin Luther King Jr. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also visit the Patreon link in the show notes if you want to support the work. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.